0: This is Polyoptics.
1: Shining a light on the theater of politics. And now, from New York, here's Josh King.
0: Thanks for joining us as we pull back the curtains on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines. Polyoptics, the only show of its kind on the air today, and you hear it first on POTUS. First, from Jerusalem, it's Chuck Todd. Welcome, Chuck, to Polyoptics. I have four questions for you. Uh, very funny, buddy. How you doing, Josh? I am good, Chuck. I, I I do want to uh, because you've been taking some abuse for it throughout your hits during the day. I want to get real the way it is uh, around Passover Seder coming up Monday and Tuesday. Let's hear a little bit. <laughs> so so that could be my daughter annabelle uh, i don't know about uh about other households but i'm looking forward to seder and yet chuck todd you sort of got an advance on uh on the seder with the way you were with prime minister netanyahu and president obama at the news conference let's hear a little bit of that mr president i want to
2: follow up a little bit on the peace process you began your term your first term big fanfare Cairo speech to talk to the Muslim world, the uh, the decision to have a Middle East envoy early. You said you weren't going to let this slip to your second term. We're in your second term with the Middle East peace process. What went wrong? Why are we further away from a two-state solution? I know you said you want to talk more about this tomorrow, but I am curious to what do you believe went wrong? Did you push Israel too hard? What do you what do you wish you would have done differently? And Mr. Prime Minister, I want to uh, help out my colleague over here. Uh, and the follow up that he had, which had to do with do you accept uh, the president's uh, understanding that Iran is a year away when it comes to nuclear weapons? And then uh, a question, another question I had for you is why do you Chuck, believe- how do you
0: got? Do you guys uh, do this in the Israeli press? You, you, you say you get one question and then you add one. Well, like I'm my, helping him. It
1: with his you see off. how the young lady from Channel One, she had one question. It was, she was very well behaved, Chuck. Well, I've got one for you these are
2: a uh, community
0: uh, no, no. t-
1: questions
2: they have, uh, I thought I had four questions reiterations over yeah. starts at a couple days I get four <laughs> questions right?
0: uh... Hey, d- d- look uh, <laughs> this is not a kosher question but don't hog it no. <laughs> Chuck it's not easy for you to do the work of five other journalists isn't
2: <laughs> Oh, it was a uh... you know when you're in when you're at the when you're the last question and you realize None of us are going to get a shot at uh, asking these guys some stuff. Sometimes you sometimes you jam a bunch of stuff in there, but that's what we do. We're there. To, we're the punching bag. You remember that, of course. We you know. We know. We know what our job is. We're the punching bag. They're the principal, uh, and we 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 know when we're supposed to be the punchline.
0: Do you do you feel like you got decent answers from both Netanyahu and Obama?
2: I, I actually do. I feel like they all you know, after all the ribbing aside, um, they all, they, you know, they both they both answered uh, all three questions. I mean, obviously, you know. You're sitting in an interview. You wish you would have two or three more chances at different follow-ups, but you know I thought the president, uh, you know, he may not have liked the premise of the question, but he, but he answered it. Uh, and same with the prime minister. Uh,
0: the the protocol when you're on foreign soil usually uh, sits with the foreign press office uh, of the of the host country. And in this case, I heard uh, Jay Carney. Uh, call on you as as one Correct. of the two U.S. questioners. How is that arranged, and why why did Chuck Todd get the opportunity to, to be the voice of basically the entire 747 full of the White House press corps?
2: Well, the White House is usually pretty good about uh, rotating that around uh, among the regulars who travel, uh, and I, you know they they it's usually a mix of and you remember this, Josh, probably when you were doing it uh, when you were doing advanced in, in the Clinton years. It's a mix of if you're on foreign if you're uh, international. It's almost always one of the two questions will be a wire uh, and an international wire. So Reuters got the first question. Uh, and then you try to rotate between the sort of the regular travelers, people that are spending the money, spending all these resources travel. And and, and every White House I've covered or have seen to handle this, it's a straight rotation. Today, there was a one-on-one question in Ramallah. CBS got it. Uh, and, you know, they they, they, try to, they try to sort of keep
0: a rotation. So uh, we've seen a lot of Blackhawks buzzing back and forth uh, over yep. Jerusalem carrying the president and the entourage. How's the trip going from your perspective? Have you been able to see a lot beyond being at the filing center at the stand-up location? Well, I
2: have because I've gone to Ramallah and I've done some other stuff. Uh, but it is this place is in lockdown. Uh, the security here is, I, would, I believe it may be for a just singular presidential event. Not counting G twenty um, as secure of a of a of a uh, an event I've traveled with the president on uh, in in uh, in either of his first two terms. You see, for instance, you brought up the Blackhawks. Uh, it's not a, it's not usually Blackhawks when there's uh, helicoptering of, of White House staff to various events internationally. Usually Chinooks, as you know. So they use Blackhawks for this. It was armored vehicles in Wabala. Uh, they were very careful with President Obama's movement in in the West Bank Jerusalem is basically shut down uh, anytime the president starts moving even I block or two and I got caught in the wrong side of that traffic today for instance a two and a half hour uh, delay just to move about uh, 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 about uh, about a mile and a half so it is uh, it is among the things actually that the local local news is covering it's like hey realize traffic stinks for the like today <laughs>
0: Well, let's hear uh, one clip of a movie that I think both you and I love from our past and see how it applies to this trip. You? Complete me.
1: And I just had. Just shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello.
0: You had me at hello. You had me at hello or you had me at shalom, Chaka. How does that, how does Jerry Maguire apply to this trip?
2: Well, what's interesting, you're, you're noting a couple of uh, columns. It wasn't actually just in the Jerusalem Post, but in some of the Hebrew papers. All of them, essentially, and, and it was a columnist at the Jerusalem Post who said, "You had me at Shalom," was his uh, headline. And the point was, is that the Israeli uh, commentariat uh, has all been lauding President Obama. He is saying all the right things, uh, and it is one of these, you know, we needed this type of thing when you when, when you're when you're reading all the columns talking to various people that the Israeli uh, intelligentsia wanted to hear President Obama talk about Israel in more passionate terms, talk about Israel's history and and a right to belong and and be here uh, in the Middle East. And uh, he's getting uh, rave reviews uh, from these folks that he's getting all the right notes, that he's definitely, you know, look at the settlement issue settlement issue is clearly an issue that has been frankly contentious before there was a President Obama. President Bush and the Israeli government had uh, didn't see eye to eye on the settlement issue. We all know that the settlement issue is a domestic political issue for Israeli politicians. Uh, and here on this trip, President Obama is just being very careful, still, you know, he, he said today, in, in front of a box, asked about the settlement issue, about saying, you know, can you know, can any Middle East peace process plan even start to move forward if if, if settlements, if Israeli settlements aren't slowly slowed down, let alone closed? And he said, you know, it's not the core issue. He said it's been U.S. policy for multiple administrations. He stated U.S. policy saying we believe the settlement, settlement expansion is not productive to the peace process. So he stated the fact of the policy and then turned around and said, but you know what, the issue of settlements shouldn't be preventing talking. Uh, essentially telling Abbas. In the West Bank, you cannot use the lack of a settlement freeze as an excuse not to talk. And then, you know, so much different than the very straight and blunt talk about settlement that President Obama had in the first 18 months of his administration. So it's little things like that. He's just trying to play Netanyahu net politics uh, differently. And I know what was interesting is when, when the prime minister answered my last question, when I said, uh, you know, what is it about? You know what is it about President Obama, the Israeli public? Why haven't they embraced President Obama in the same way they embraced President Bush and And he said, you know, he said first of all they got to get to know him the way I get to know him. But then he said something to me that was very um, overly honest. He said, you know what, I just want a third term. He just want a second term. Uh, you know, we're just we're we're all in a better place. You know, it was almost sort of like yeah. the song. Uh, if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. And both Obama and Netanyahu are loving the one they're with.
0: Are you seeing opportunities, Chuck, on this trip, whether it's uh, staff uh, off-the-record dinners or anything that Obama can do around the fringes of his movements? Uh, you saw just a little bit of him walking off the plane, takes off his jacket, Netanyahu takes off his jacket, and yet there's so much of a security cordon in this specific trip, Mark Landler, Landler even uh, Tweeted that uh, Shin bet would not let him even go off the stage to shake a few hands uh, at the convention center. So how can Obama do what Clinton did so effectively, which is do, doing these these minor sort of body language movements outside of the actual speechifying to make the connection that he's able to make?
2: He, he's got to hope it happens on television. He did also in a tour today of some uh, of a sort of a technology fair, if you will. That that's that, uh, that the, the Israeli government put on for President Obama. But uh, it, it, what Landor said, I'll take it a step further, I believe there's only one moment in any official movement where he actually steps outside. Um, the sensitivity on security, that, that's what I mean. It's, it's a level of security and how careful uh, they, they have been on on this. I mean, you almost get the sense that maybe they're overdoing it, but there was just no way they were going to be able to let him out do really public events, like you said, like Clinton. It's just not its not the place we're in right now. And don't forget, this is not where Israel is. And, 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 you know, to me, it's like when you look at Richard Engel, did a wonderful piece last night called basically Fortress of Israel. Amazing poll, amount of
0: fencing that Engel showed on Nightly last night.
2: Exactly, right. It's Fortress, fortress, fortress of Israel. The Israeli government and, frankly, Israeli public is getting more, and more comfortable with this idea of barricading themselves in. That's what you know. Right now, this is not a. This has never been. It's always been a rough neighborhood, you know, around the world. It's rougher right now, and until this Arab Spring stuff settles down, Egypt, Syria, who's not? What's not enough people? Even Jordan is not exactly as stable as it usually is. Uh, and there's a comfort level in just being overly secure. So I don't think this is, for instance, I don't think that the Israeli public's upset that President Obama's not doing certain things, but it does explain why he's not doing certain uh, touchstones you know, whether it's a speech in one place or the other because they've they've had to be very careful of those
0: movements for security. Right. I mean when we did our peace treaty signing with Jordan uh, probably nineteen ninety five, it was done outside in Aqaba under the under the blazing Red Sea sun. I, I can't imagine that sort of a open air event ever happening again.
2: No, not not right now. Not right now. Maybe in ten years, maybe in fifteen years. But you know, I looked at what There were all sorts of places in the compound. You know, Abbas in in the West Bank has built quite a compound. In that compound, there were plenty of outdoor areas to do events. They basically, he, Abbas met the president right when he walked off, right when he walked off Marine One. Right off camera, you could see the beast. the limo, was following the president as he was walking toward Abbas with the door open. And it wasn't because he was going to ride the 30 feet. You know exactly what was going on. It's something that was a, one of the rare moments he was going to be in the open air. In the West Bank, they were ready to, you know, clearly the security precautions, ready to put him inside seats, which is, you know, obviously an armored vehicle, uh, at a moment and then they immediately went inside.
0: That's right. I mean, I saw, I think, a high shot of the arrival in Ramallah and you saw this almost spaghetti pattern of red carpet. And I'm thinking yep. to myself as a event as a event designer of official military greetings, like there I am with a piece of graph paper and a pencil. I've got a sketch out protocol for this that will work within a counter sniper security cordon perimeter. And it's basically guys walking back and forth on red carpets.
2: No. And you saw if you looked up anywhere and if the president looked up, he saw snipers were everywhere.
0: Um, but at least the Israelis, have it seems, have branded uh, this trip quite well. You tweeted out a picture of a coffee cup with the yeah. Unbreakable Alliance. So if you can't actually get out and be with the people, you can brand the heck out of coffee cups, can't
2: you? That's right. Now, what we don't know is if it's unbreakable ceramic. <laughs> uh, but, we'll, you know, we'll find that out on the, on the on the trip home and see how well it packs.
0: So talking about the last leg of this trip uh, in Jordan, um, I think the press corps and all of those who follow this issue is treated to an amazing curtain raiser by Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic with The Monarch in the Middle <laughs> and his interview with King Abdullah. Have you ever encountered another trip where you're about to go into Jordan and suddenly you feel like you've been a fly on the wall for so many conversations about what's really going on with this guy?
2: Well, it, it, it is it is amazing. And they, just so you know, I talked to Jeffrey about this. timing was totally, purely coincidence. He's been working on this piece for months. Just happens to hit him. He goes, he goes. I wish I had planned it this well. Trust me. He goes. We couldn't have done it. We couldn't have coordinated it that well at the Atlantic um, to to have made it the way it is. But I think it's going to mean it's going to be very interesting to see how the king, uh, what he ends up using his public forums with President Obama to basically walk back some of this stuff and to just to let folks know he was he had some he didn't mince words about his feelings for uh, uh, President Morsi of Egypt. Uh, he didn't mince words about his views on the Prime Minister of Turkey. On. uh and you know the Prime Minister of Turkey is about as in, you know President Obama has relied on Erdogan as somebody to be a player in the Middle East, in the peace process, and in the spring, and uh, to have basically arguably the United States' number one Arab ally is Saudi Arabia, and you know but we, we you know what King Abdullah is easily certainly among the most politically savvy of our Arab allies. To have not in a good place with either the president of Egypt or the or the head of government in Turkey, that's that's not a good place to be. So King Abdullah is a pretty shrewd guy. I bet you he figures out a way to try to clean this up. But you know he's going to have to clean it up on a big big stage, and at the same time he's got domestic political issues.
0: Jeffrey Goldberg is certainly having his moment. I mean, as I think about. Uh, the short limo rides that you've seen between President Obama, Secretary of State Kerry, from helicopter LZ to event site, from event site back to LZ, past the King David Hotel. Do you think these two these two new partners, Obama and Kerry, sort of chat in the limo and think, when we get back and thinking about the next three years of our term and thinking about what Bill Clinton tried to do at Camp David and Y River... Is this a, te- a president who has the temperament or patience to say, "Let's open up Camp David" or "Let's open up Y River" and invite Mahmoud Abbas and, and Bibi Netanyahu in for not just sort of parallel bilateral meetings, but, but but a negotiation over an extended period in which the U.S. president plays a real roll up your sleeves role? Uh,
2: you know, his attitude on that, uh, I've noticed. To me, it's actually very similar to his change of attitude on how to deal with Senate Republicans. And now he's basically kowtowing to all of us who have criticized him in the media saying, you know, why don't you, you're going to have to, you know, as much as you, you know, you think you're reaching out, you got to do more of it. You know, so if it's a dinner with uh, Lindsey Graham, suck it up and have more dinners with Lindsey Graham. You have to have lunch with Paul Ryan, suck it up, have more lunches with Paul Ryan. Um, you can just, I, I sense a change in his sort of, that there is a of level of patience now. Uh, the election's behind him, and it's both in, in how he handles congressional Republicans and how we did in, in, in the Middle East, and, you know. And yes, I'm, I'm drawing some parallels here because I think, you know, one is a life and death problem. Uh, one is simply a political problem, but the same sort of where you've got everybody talking around each other, locked into their own ideologies, can't seem to budge. You know, some of, the, some, of the, uh, some of the roadblocks feel similar. Uh, I do sense a different level of patience, and then you have a John Kerry who is—he uh, is—he wants his moment in history, and I, I say this not to be critical, or, or you know, he—you know—he he doesn't want to be a caretaker secretary of state. He doesn't simply want to be the other secretary of state during the Obama years, uh, and, and the Middle East is uh, something he wants to make more of a priority. Secretary Clinton was very focused on Asia. He wants to make the focus uh, on the Middle East. So I think his aggressiveness, you know, he's gonna be sticking around after the President leaves and having follow up meetings before that matters. He seems to want to push this, so I think he's gonna push it hard. Uh, and you know, let's see where we are in six months. But, you know, to me, until until Abbas can speak for the entire Palestinian people, how is it what's the incentive for the Israeli people to sit down with Abbas the if they think Abbas can't cut a deal that's gonna stop rockets coming from Dallas?
0: So uh, coming back to the U.S. next week, Chuck. I mean, we may we may or we may not have a White House Easter Egg Roll. Uh, but over at the Daily Rundown, we do have the uh, the NCA Championship going on, and there's a very interesting side bracket going on through the Daily Rundown. Can you tell us about the Senate bracket? And can I have Warren Rudman, please?
2: <laughs> well, my uh, my partners in crime there, Mark Murray, Domenico Montanaro, and I we we decided I had this I had this weird brainstorm. You know, we all like to this- Mess with this. every news media outlet like to mess with the field of sixty-four thing. So we decided to do a let's make a field of sixty-four uh, most consequential senators in history. Let's feed them, and you know let's even put them to a vote. So uh, we're unveiling the full bracket next week. We started with a play-in game this week for a sixteen seed, and uh, uh, between Avoid Benson and so Graham, uh, two former Texas senators, one to help come Um but uh, it, is a, uh, it, it, is, it is an interesting mix. You are now testing my memory. Warren Rudman was certainly among the field that was being considered. I'm trying to remember if he made the list or not. We were trying to spread it around by state as well. And there may be another New Hampshire senator that may have snuck in ahead of him, if I'm not mistaken. But I know we were having a debate. We also reached out to a few historians. Having a debate about Rudman, uh, He was certainly in the top 75, he would have definitely made the NITs. <laughs> so, I, Back uh, in the Ralph Sampson days. Uh, so our number one seed, Senate Daniel Webster, Henry Clay, Ted Kennedy, and LBJ. Our fifth number one was Dirksen. He slipped into a two. It was a big debate uh, inside our little selection committee between Dirksen and Ted Kennedy for that last number one seed.
0: And what city would host the final four Senate bracket? Would it be Philadelphia or New York uh, or someplace uh, uh, that has a, a, a great senatorial home i
2: have to say if we're making lbj or the overall number one seat, sam houston's in here as you saw the play-in game i might argue it is amazing the amount of consequential senators and we can argue about what side of history they are but the amount of consequential senators coming from that great state of texas i might argue that the the, 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 the sucker might be an off
0: okay we'll all head down there i'll make up the hats and t-shirts chuck todd before i let you uh, get back to filing and 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 leave you on the way the rest of your way in the Middle East uh now let's just have a quick pivot to to the real life uh brackets and the the championship underway you're a big Miami Hurricanes fan you think they might have a shot and and generally I think you you've sort of come out recently to applaud the way Donna Shalala is in general addressing the various uh, issues facing Miami athletics can you tell us a little bit about where you see the actual tournament going and then your hometown Canes
2: well I'll just say look I, I think that uh Miami is one of those teams, and I, and I think I would be saying this about Miami, whether I was an obsessive fan or not, they meet all the criteria of what we always say uh, you need if, you a, uh, if you're a team that's going to go far in the tournament. You need a bunch of seniors. They're, they're one, of the, one of the oldest teams in the tournament. You need a great point card, Shane Larkin, uh, Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin, Hall of Famer baseball player Barry Larkin's son. Shane Larkin is playing as good as anybody in point guard position. Uh, and you need a coach that's done it before, and Jim Werner, former the former George Mason coach who took George Mason on that Cinderella run. So all the ingredients are there. They have a nice matchup. I think they got a decent draw. I mean, we can all argue about whether they're a one seed or not, but I think they're a decent. They got a decent draw. They get to the eight. You know, if they play, if they play how they've been playing, they'll get to the eight, and then it's a matchup against Indiana. And you know, I think they match up well against Indiana. We'll see. The toughest, you know, you know, but if they're going to win a national title, they are have to get through, at least in Indiana and probably a Louisville. They're good enough to do it. Uh, and, you know, why not? You know, to me, it's skill to get to the final four, it's luck to the whole thing. You always need a lucky game to do. But that's for what the NCAA stuff Look, well, it's been a, uh, I think the, uh, the NCAA went for the provo- uh, proverbial kill uh, on Miami's uh, football and basketball program. And, you know, they, they sort of overstepped their bounds. I mean, you, you, you know, Miami's one of those schools people love to hate. But it's been funny to watch even people that think the worst of Miami agree that how the NCAA has gone about this in their prosecutorial term has been over the line and sort of uh, it, it's basically a bit unreasonable. So I think this is going to either change the way the NCAA does business or they're going to risk the top 64th uh, football schools pulling out of the NCAA, which would be a bigger nightmare for them. Because if those football schools pull out, they'll yank that basketball deal, and everything we're talking about about March Madness, they'll put on their own tournament, and they'll keep all the money themselves. So it's a it's a risky business competition I think mean, the NCAA is going on. They've made a lot of schools mad about how they've gone about their business, whether it's Penn State, the Big Ten, what they've done to Miami, the ACC. It's going to be fascinating to see how they sort of form themselves. Try to get the credit for
0: Chuck Todd. All right, brother. Travel safe home from the Middle East. Great job out there. Thanks, Chuck.
1: This is the only channel that takes you inside Washington, D.C. My message is. It's just not realistic. We're serious about growing our economy. Our economy. It's clear of the president's policy. It's not helping the economy. The economy. The bureaucracy. Monterey Paul's job. We'll be able to reduce our deficit. Fighting over power. It's starting to make a lot more sense. This. Is Want
2: to know what really goes on behind the mics at SiriusXM? Yeah! Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter,
1: and you'll get photos of the
2: celebrities coming through the studios, exclusive videos of live performances from your favorite artists, and first dibs on tickets and prizes. Not to mention, we'll tell you about what's coming up across all our channels so you can tune in just in time. Get social with SiriusXM and like us at Facebook.com slash SiriusXM. And follow us on Twitter at SiriusXM.
0: Bloomberg Radio delivers the latest business and financial news from around the world. Global markets this morning rallied on optimism. Uh, in the economy. As global stocks continue to climb.
1: Breaking economic and market news as it
0: happens. Let's
1: move on and talk about all this
2: money flooding into the U.S.
0: Need to know insights. very different views on the future for stocks and economic growth. Investing, technology, and how it all affects you. Where to turn to put yield in your fixed income portfolio.
2: Bloomberg Radio, Sirius XM 113.
0: So now we welcome to our microphones my old pal Jeremy Gaines with whom I traveled hundreds of thousands of miles to actually get under the skin of some of the things we were just talking to Chuck Todd about. He was on a cell phone. He might have been in at the King David Hotel. He might have been going in and out of an elevator. He might have been being roughed up by the Shin Bet security for all I know because the sound wasn't so good. But now are we go only as far as Virginia? Uh, to talk to my by, via landline to talk to Jeremy. Welcome, Gainsy, to Polyoptics. Thanks, Josh. Glad to be here again. Again, our, your second uh, appearance on Polyoptics. That's right. um, So let's let's unpack a little bit about uh, what Chuck was actually going through. Um, you know, from from the from the moment that Sandy Berger would have summoned you and others to the Situation Room to say uh, we are going on a uh, on a trip around the Middle East. Uh, that maybe you and I did from, I think we did, Egypt to Syria to Israel to Jordan to uh, Saudi Arabia and back.
1: All in the space of, I think, three days.
0: That's right. So how does it begin back at the White House?
1: Well, um, you know, as, as you know, it depends on uh, the amount of advance. Uh, um, warning: We have, uh, you know, ideally you're starting three months out uh, and doing a, uh, a scouting trip that you and I did many times. Uh, uh, that first trip with about a dozen uh, White House staffers and uh, uh, really trying to uh, determine uh, which locations in the countries that you're um, visiting, uh, you know, will will. Sort of serve the message that you want to convey. There may be uh, some stops like a uh, presidential palace or the prime minister's office that uh, are requirements, and then other things like the location of the speech that uh, President Obama gave today um, that are totally up to the discretion of, of the White House staff to choose. So that's your first opportunity to make those um, decisions on that, uh, on that site survey trip and then come back and, uh, and, and uh, sort of firm everything up before going on yet another trip about six weeks out to really uh, firm up all the
0: plans. And then uh, both the site survey and the pre-advance for guys like you and I, we have an uh, acronym for our favorite moments of those, the FTOs, or food-taking opportunities.
1: (laughs) Well, we quickly learned that uh, the real trip to beyond was the site survey, as opposed to, as we called it, the actual.
0: Right. The actual, as Chuck described it a few minutes ago, this time was just absolute security lockdown. And as you look at pictures, there were so few moments in which anything beyond counter snipers for audience would be a rarity for Obama in the Middle East. Uh, did, you, did you pick up on that and, and any recollections of what it was like whether we were in uh, Israel or Syria to be uh, sort of under the current uh, under the t- uh, constant watchful eye of the Shin Bet or other local security services?
1: Well you know I, I think a lot about uh, you know those kind of uh, security precautions that we live through um you know fifteen twenty years ago and uh you know in the post 911 world it's uh you know everything we went through was uh you know a cakewalk um compared to what what what's going on now and uh you know security was 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 certainly you know outrageously tight uh, even in our day on, on a Middle East trip. Uh, um, I, I remember our visit to, uh, to Damascus where uh, even the uh, pens in my bag were unscrewed <laughs> and checked by our friends in uh, Syrian uh, security. But um, if I remember correctly, you, uh, you were able to uh, get along with our uh, Syrian counterparts uh, swimmingly. Well, not a special technique.
0: Well, I was using the, the Syrian equivalent of the peace pipe, uh, taking from <laughs> one of my security minders a, a, a long clove cigarette of some uh, very uh, 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 pungent tobacco. And they we, we just sat in the marble together and whiled away the afternoon smoking these Syrian cigarettes. Uh, that is probably the first and last cigarette I ever smoked, but he, we seemed to sort of uh, Barry, are any of our differences in the in the puff of smoke that went up from the from Hafez El Assad's castle?
1: And I think that was the, that was the great uh, cutaway camera negotiation, uh, probably the last uh, successful uh, bilateral U.S. Syrian negotiation.
0: That's right. Except one person uh, didn't fare so well in that uh, in in that negotiation or that coverage, and that was NBC's Andrea Mitchell
1: that was a that was a famous a famous day uh in our uh, white House years of um you know one of the few days where uh uh our uh actual sort of uh, logistical hang ups became fodder for for press stories uh, uh I remember clearly as if it were yesterday um being told uh, that the that our Syrian hosts uh, would not allow any questions in the photo op uh, with uh, President Clinton and, and President Assad. And uh, even though I may have been young and inexperienced, I uh, knew enough not to tell the White House Press Corps, let alone Andrea, that uh, that, that was somehow our um, uh, position. But yet this was just the position of, the, of our Syrian hosts, and uh, yeah, just take this information and, and do with it, uh, you know, what, as, as you wish. Uh, we walk into the room, and of course, uh, within seconds, Andrea um, asks uh, President Assad a question, and a, a <laughs> gentleman on the, on the other side. Of her, I was standing to her left. Uh, to her right, a gentleman grabs her arm and, and starts pulling her out of the room. And I just somehow instinctively grab her other arm and to hold her in the room. All the while, President Clinton is laughing hysterically, but uh, President Assad is uh, forthrightly answering her uh, her question. We later learned that that gentleman on her other arm was, uh, in fact, the head of uh, Assad's security. Uh, And uh, I'm sure that uh, he had much experience, quote-unquote, taking care of people.
0: Well, at least history will note that Andrew Mitchell's career goes on and is very successful more so than ever today, and Hafez al-Assad is no longer with us, and his son (laughs) is uh, not probably going to have another U.S.-American bilat uh, in Damascus anytime soon. And then getting ready to do a trip like this. I, I remember the long notes that the print pool pre-advance person would put together. And then the way uh, Ann Edwards would write her press schedules, the way the NSC would would provide guidance. Uh, I was struck this week by the way this has changed so much into the modern day. We have a White House produced video of uh, National Security Adviser, uh, for communications, Ben Rhodes, speaking into what looks like a bureau like microphone, giving us a video preview of the trip. Let's hear a listen. The president will go to the Jerusalem Convention Center, where he'll give a speech to an audience of mainly Israeli university students. And this really is the true purpose of the visit, an ability for the president to speak directly to the Israeli people about the future that we want to build together. And the embassy has put together a list of universities that they partner with. Uh, that can bring in Israeli young people so that the president can have a very direct conversation with them about the b- bonds between our countries and our commitment to Israel's security and its future. Gaines, uh, uh, he, this is the kind of guy who usually briefs off the record and or briefs on background, is called a senior administration official. But how different is it from the way we used to uh, provide information to the public before a trip like this started? In-
1: that that wouldn't have even existed and it is fascinating how in the um current era uh you know it is it is uh not just normal procedure, but expected to sort of go beyond the quote-unquote filter of the uh, White House press corps and take what would have been a, um, as you said, off-the-record, off-camera background briefing and basically put it on camera and put it on uh, whitehouse.gov or YouTube and and make it available to to everyone. I was just thinking the last couple days about this kind of uh, technique and how the closest uh, it came to that Back in our day, uh, was uh, you know the the new modern thing to do was to uh, make use of the office of media affairs, which is what we called the the, um, the group at the White House that went beyond the White House press corps and talked to local reporters around the country, and uh, go set up an interview with the president with the Sacramento Bee or do a town hall at uh, an affiliate in Orlando, and uh, that's about as close as uh, as we got to that kind of um, of uh, reaching beyond
0: the filter. It wouldn't be uh, appropriate to let you go, Gaines, without uh, having a good, ample discussion on the polyoptics coming from Vatican Vatican City this week. Uh, Amazing amount of symbolism, both overt and implied. Things like Pope Francis now not wearing a solid gold ring, but a gold-plated ring. Things that him saying that uh, he had been attracted to a woman in his youth. Um, And you could go on and on. Overall, uh, you have to give huge props to uh, the new pope and to the vatican press office for pulling off uh... a great installation week for his holiness
1: couldn't agree with you more i mean uh, you and i enjoy a good ceremony and those guys in rome know how to do it right uh... it's uh... it's always amazing to watch uh... the, the ceremony that comes out of there and um... in addition what what uh... everyone who does or has done what we do wonders is, uh, is how much of it is pre-planned and, and how much of it is the spontaneity of, of, of the new pope. Um, and uh, the beauty of sort of the uh, secret society in Vatican City is that you, you really will
0: never know. You won't ever know. I mean, you, don't, you hardly know anything about what goes on in the conclave. But, but let's look at some of the, that spontaneity. I mean, uh, what is his age now, 76? Yeah, something like that. So uh I met Pope John Paul the in Rome when President Clinton visited there in 1994. I guess that would have been uh 8 years after his installation, I think. Still, um I
1: still haven't, haven't forgiven you for uh, making me babysit the travel pool while you did
0: that. Oh, I know. Okay. I had to <laughs> I had to go into the Curie and have my my audience. <laughs> well, one of the Jewish boys from the White House press corps had White House press office had to do it. So um but uh You know, I have a I have a my old boss, Joe Plumeri, who's, you know, 69, 70 years old, and he would rival a 40 year old in terms of his energy level. I was struck just looking at the physicality of Bergoglio, now Francis, as he moved through Vatican City.
1: Well, I'll just say one thing, which is, uh, you know, um, I agree with you, but it's also all relative because uh we're going from a pope in his mid 80s who uh uh you know uh wasn't wasn't that vigorous and uh you know his predecessor we watched decline for you know over the space of more than a decade so um in in that role 76 is a spry young guy
0: but just a a real genuine smile uh you know a a real outreach uh, holding a baby
1: I mean this is just... a guy this is a guy who three weeks ago was taking the bus in Buenos Aires. You know, it'll be interesting to uh, see if he's able to sort of, uh, you know, keep up that uh, that style. I think it's exactly
0: what they need. Again, the, uh, we don't know how uh, the papal press office, the equivalent of our White House press office, would have looked at an opportunity like the still picture of having him pay for his hotel room in uh, in Rome himself, uh, see those pictures of him wearing his his Argentinian black shoes as compared to the papal red. I mean, all of these things contribute to this sense and this packaging of the people's pope, affected perfectly over a two-week period. Couldn't agree more. Um, now, I guess I owe a bit of my White House uh, heritage and my the job that I got actually to Pope John Paul II. Is that right?
1: You really do Josh. Uh it was uh uh I guess it was uh 94 if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh Pope John Paul was mid 93. Mid 93. Uh Sorry. World
0: World Youth Day Denver That's right, Colorado. in
1: Denver. And uh your predecessor who uh will go unnamed. Uh been a guest
0: on the show. <laughs>
1: chose chose to um, shall we say, have words uh, with uh, a person who uh, he thought of as just the Pope's advance guy? Um, unfortunately, that gentleman was, uh, I believe, an archbishop, and um, this resulted in an official uh, Vatican uh, démarche de delivered to the State Department. And uh, well, all I can say, the rest is history.
0: Were you on, you were on that trip, right? i was there i was this was before i became i was i was in the scheduling office and planning this back from Washington but was without naming the guy was there <laughs> discussion back at the press office that quote unquote something had happened
1: you know i don't I don't remember anything contemporaneously um I just remember uh you know in the 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 aftermath and the days following um you know i didn't i didn't witness uh the words so uh uh i'm not sure how many people did but uh it certainly uh didn't go unnoticed
0: so in addition to the middle east trip in addition to the installation pope francis both huge human spectacles in terms of logistics security uh uh organization another big event this this week happened with just one woman and a camera let's hear have a little listen lgbt americans are our colleagues, our teachers, our soldiers, our friends, our loved ones. And they are full and equal citizens and deserve the rights of citizenship. That includes marriage. That's why I support marriage for lesbian and gay couples. So that is former Secretary of State, former First Lady Hillary, former Senator Hillary Clinton, person you and I both worked for, Jeremy, and she is making this statement this week looking directly at camera in a sort of wood paneled living room uh... and makes enormous news without even having to uh... go out in public give a speech about that or any other issues uh... and subject herself to questions or any of these sort of production elements that that you and i both know are so important when a person makes a major statement And yet, uh, five and a half minutes of video put on YouTube from the Human Rights Campaign uh, allows her to check a big box in advance of 2016.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just as we were talking earlier about, you know, the use of uh, the modern media, Um, you know, you don't have to um, expose yourself to all of that. You can deliver your message unfiltered when and how you want to deliver it. And uh, in addition to that, you know preserving uh, what will be a huge opportunity in the future whenever she chooses to do it which will be her first big public event you know this was a sort of a first big uh, um, you know uh, statement um, after leaving the administration but uh, still to come will be uh, you know and uh, a, a whole other series of, of events we'll see um, of her sort of um, post post-administration period
0: and but again it's what what strikes me is the control that 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 she is has become so good at i don't think she was except for the announcement of her candidacy in 2007 uh was able to exert as much control certainly the obama white house exerts an enormous amount of control over the way uh president obama is pictured and the video that is allowed of him he does very few of those sort of wild q and a's with the pool outside of his limo here is uh secretary clinton uh basically working with the human rights campaign to craft a very strong message puts on teleprompter and sits in a perfectly lit environment and her her hair and makeup are just right so without having to go through a lot of the hoops of going out there and taking a stand, she is a major news player this week.
1: Absolutely. Remember, this is also the way that uh, campaigns are, are now launched. Um, you know, take it all in-house, do it yourself, Don't uh, don't rely on others to, uh, to tell your story. It's a completely different world.
0: So uh, one other group that needs to figure out how to tell its story in a different way are our friends in the Republican Party. Let's hear a little bit of Ryan Priebus talking about the uh, rebrand of the GOP uh, and the Opportunity Project that was also unveiled this week.
1: One of the reasons why Mitt Romney was a sitting duck for two months over the summer was that under the campaign finance laws, he couldn't use money that he'd already raised until after he received the nomination for president in August.
0: Today, Priebus is detailing his report, including recommendations for change. Another problem in last year's Republican primaries, more than 20 debates among prospective nominees. Priebus would cut that number in half.
1: I think we had way too many debates with our candidates slicing and dicing each other.
0: The report also addresses the GOP's demographic problem. 70% of Latinos, the fastest growing voting bloc in the country, voted for President Obama.
2: Republicans have not done as an effective job as we should in terms of of talking about our principles in terms that average people can appreciate.
0: That's a CBS News report ending with uh, Speaker of the House John Boehner, Jeremy Gaines, Earlier conventions, fewer primary debates, uh, a different demographic focus. Sounds like a good prescription.
1: Maybe um, I think you know one of the one of the things is, uh, and, and I've and I've I've seen this through the past several election cycles. As much as uh, a party apparatus, you know, the last cycle it was really it was just the Republican Party having a primary contest. But uh, as as much as as uh, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party wants to control those things, um, they don't really control uh, as a national organization the. Uh, all of the primary uh process because it's uh it's it's really a state by state thing that's run by state parties, each of which want to get attention for their state and their issues. So, um I, you know, I, all I'm saying is I'm skeptical, because I've seen the parties try to reel back uh, the numbers of, of debates in the primary season. Um, I think that he's, he's right that um, it doesn't necessarily serve the party or the eventual um, nominee, but it's a, it's a very difficult thing to, uh, to do. And on the con- timing of the convention...
0: Um, we remember it, the way it was in 92. It was a June, right?
1: It was, it was July, yeah um traditionally one one party was in july and the other in august usually bookending the olympics um and if you want to do it in june i would say the issue there is um you know if obviously um i don't think clint eastwood and, and the rest of the show in tampa uh was much of a springboard for them but uh if they want to uh have any sort of attempt to have a momentum going into the fall um I don't think having a convention in June is going to serve that purpose. But for the
0: financing purposes, I understand what he's saying. And from the uh, perspective of uh, other people who have a voice in the question, for example, how many, how many primary season debates do we have? Uh, the cable networks are certainly big players. Where is the incentive to cut down if you are uh, Fox News, CNN or MSNBC?
1: Well, um, you know, it's one of the it's an interesting thing because uh, the incentive is usually on the front runner to not do want to do it, but all of the other challengers want to do it. So, uh, it, you know, it's in the current in the current model, anyone can uh, any any network or state state uh, um, political party can uh, throw out an invitation to to host a debate and. Uh, and then if you are in the case of last cycle mitt romney um, you sort of have your back against the wall when all the other guys say the and and women say that they want to do it um, so uh you know um, i just think that it uh, it's it's a it's a it's a beast and and very difficult to control but uh you know i, I totally understand why he'd like to
0: so gensie uh the president comes back from the middle east uh on friday into saturday maybe uh and then we are into uh last week of march and into april you're you're betting man so uh do you think there will be a white house easter egg roll
1: i think there will be i think they've said they said they're going to uh to do it and uh you know they sort of uh uh you know they say it wasn't a political decision but they've uh they've they've made their statement by canceling white house tours i i don't think they're going to cancel the
0: easter egg roll uh, excellent. So we will we'll, uh, check on that and check back with you, G- Jeremy Gaines, uh, my old pal from the White House. Thanks so much for stopping by on Polyoptics. Thanks, Josh. That's it for another edition of Polyoptics. Our produ- That's it for another edition of Polyoptics. Our producer is the extraordinary Catherine Caperton hear us here each Saturday on SiriusXM channel 124 POTUS, Politics of the United States. Missed any previous episode? Find them all on polyoptics.com and follow us on Twitter at polyoptics. Keep your eyes on the visual, think about how it moves you, and we'll talk about it next week. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh King, and you're on POTUS.